Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 12.09 p.m. on the 11th day of May, 2023, and this is episode 724 of Bitcoin and I was going to do a whole thing about Comfrey for the first half of this show. Comfrey, the plant. But as I was like, because I've, I've got a lot of knowledge about it. I really do. I've worked with this plant for a long, long time. And I was like, well, you know, I probably need to go look up some, you know, some other stuff and do some some other basic research. And that is a rabbit hole all by itself. Even when you know something. And you start looking deeper into it, you're like, oh my God, dude, this plant is, you want this plant. You want comfrey, all right? Just wherever it is that you put it, make sure that that's where it's going to live forever. Because once you put it there, you're not going to get rid of it. But that's one of the, that's one of the special things about this particular plant. But I won't get into that, okay? I'm going to have to save that until, because I was putting together research for it today, realized that even though I've worked with this plant for years and years, I there's so much more that is about this plant that really needs to be brought up. You know, it's springtime, and this is the good time to start getting into a little bit more plant stuff. Uh, but that's going to have to wait. It's just, it, it really is. It's going to have to wait. So let me clear off a couple of things here, and we're going to get into it. Bitcoin fees plummet 95% as BTC price recovers from a United States government scare. William Suberg, Cointelegraph. Mm. Bitcoin struggled to recover from fresh losses today, May the 11th, as a false alarm over the United States government sales spooked markets. Yeah, I woke up to this too, ladies and gentlemen. I had no idea this shit was going on. Data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView showed BTC USD pair circling eh, 27,400 at the time of writing. The pair had seen a flash sell-off the day prior, briefly taking it all the way down to 26,850 after claims that confiscated BTC held by the United States government was being sold off. This was subsequently disproved, but for already sensitive crypto markets, the damage was done. Among traders, Jackie's, guy named Jackie's, described the local lows as a scam move while forecasting lower levels to come, quote, when the move feels like a scam and trades like a scam, then treat it like a scam, he tweeted. Quote, I do, I do expect a breakdown lower sooner or later. I'm not yet sure how deep, but prepared to act quickly if necessary. End quote. Fellow trader Anbessa also confirmed that he was looking for further downside, focusing on a target around the $25,000 mark. Meanwhile, 
financial commentator Ted Talks Macro called May the 10th just another day in crypto. In a Twitter summary on the day's events, he added that U.S. inflation data had delivered for risk asset bulls, implying ongoing declines to come in the next few months. In a silver lining for Bitcoiners, however, the past 24 hours saw a major shift in on-chain transaction fees, these deflating considerably after reaching levels that had caused a widespread uproar. Live numbers from mempool.space had next block fee rates at 47 satoshis per byte, or vbyte, at the time of writing. According to data from monitoring resource BitInfo charts, on May the 10th, the average fee fell below $15, a drop of over 50% from the previous day. Reacting Checkmate led online on-chain analyst at Glassnode took to task those who had called for co-changing measures to prevent fees from rising so heavily in the future. As Cointelegraph reported, fees had surged due to ordinals inscriptions massively increasing on-chain activity and demand for block space. Quote, 24 hours later, the average fees paid per block has returned to $1. It says average, like uh, $1.0 BTC per block, whatever the hell that means. Imagine arguing to change Bitcoin rules for a short-term fee spike due to people using the chain in ways you don't agree with, he tweeted alongside a chart. Uh, further quote, he says, trying to change the rules is the attack, not the inscriptions. That's, that's the end of the article, but that's a great way to end that article. Trying to change the rules is the attack, not the inscriptions. Again, not defending inscriptions. Yes, I think they're stupid. Yes, it's a waste of time. Yes, it's a it's a complete mechanism for people to scam the, you know, rubes out of their money cuz that's exactly what's going on. But that's not the attack. Because they there's a lot of people that are still mad at Casey Rod Armor for for building the ordinals thing. If it hadn't have been him, it would have been somebody else. At least Casey had the wherewithal to tell everybody what he had done almost immediately instead of keeping it under wraps and, you know, everybody finds out later. If somebody else had done this, it's not, very, it's not clear at all if they, had been above, if they would have been above board about what they had built and how it's going to be used and all that kind of shit. So being mad at Casey for building ordinals is probably not the best way to go. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. But agreed that changing the rules because you get your panties in a snit, that's the actual attack. Because it's nothing but, it's, it's just reactionary. And when something bad happens and you just react to it, almost nothing good, nothing good comes out of that. So we have to, we, we're just going to muddle on here, man, and see what happens. But, 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 Bitcoin bears need the BTC price to go below $27,000 ahead of Friday's $900 million options expiry. Yes, that's right. We're back here to the end of the futures contract expiry. You know, I always forget that this shit exists. But this is one of the reasons why I cannot stand futures markets. They're not there. 
they're, they're, they're there to basically make people money if they know exactly how to operate in the futures market. Otherwise, to the rest of us plebs, it's a price suppression model. That's all futures markets have ever done. Is just it's just a mechanism to modify or modulate prices, and it always seems to be modulating prices to either the downside or making sure that it doesn't pop its head up above some kind of median average. It's been happening for gold and silver for decades, you know, and everybody was so excited. And I think I was, I could probably be counted among those people, but yes, $900 million of options expiry are coming up. Marcel Peckman from Cointelegraph tells us more. The $900 million Bitcoin weekly options expiry on May the 12th, that's tomorrow, might play a decisive role in determining whether the price will succumb below 27,000. BTC bears will try to take advantage of macroeconomic headwinds like Silk Road coins FUD, that's what we just got finished with, the United States government selling those coins and it's not happening yet, and uncertainty caused by Bitcoin's transaction fee spike to pull Bitcoin's price down in the next few days. The BTC-USD pair broke above 29,800 on May the 6th, but the tide quickly changed as the resistance proved stronger than anticipated. The subsequent 8.2% two-day correction tested 27,400 support, favoring the thesis of sideways trading as investors evaluate the economic crisis dynamic and its potential impact on cryptocurrencies. Meanwhile, Berkshire Hathaway Owner and billionaire investor Warren Buffett is no longer optimistic about the United States economy's growth. Oh my God, such a pessimistic scenario for the global economy might explain why some Bitcoin traders decided to reduce exposure over the past week, greatly reducing the odds of breaking $30,000. The open interest for the May 12th options expiry is $900 million, but the actual figure will be lower since bears were expecting sub $28,000 price levels. These traders got excessively optimistic after Bitcoin's price rallied 11.2% between April the 9th and the 14th, testing $31,000 resistance. The 1.65 call to put ratio reflects the imbalance between the $650 million in calls or buys open interest and the $340 million dollars in put or sell options. But if Bitcoin's price remains near 27,500 at 8 a.m. UTC on May the 12th, only $11 million worth of these buy options will be available. This difference happens because the right to buy Bitcoin at 28,000 or $29,000 is useless if BTC trades below that level at expiration. Below are the four most likely scenarios on the current price action. The number of option contracts available on May the 12th for call, which is a bull stance, or a, and a put, which is the bear stance, instruments varies depending on the expiry price. The imbalance favoring each side constitutes the theoretical profit. If the price is between $25,000 and $27,000, 100 calls versus 9,900 puts. 
bears in total control, profiting at $230 million. If the price of Bitcoin is between 27,000 and 28,000, there's 400 calls versus only 5,000 puts, and the net result favors the put instrument by $120 million. If the price is between 28 and 29,000, there's 1,500 calls versus 2,100 puts. And between 29,000 and 30,000, there's 3,300 calls versus only 800 puts. The net result favors the bull instrument by $70 million. This crude estimate considers the call options used in bullish bets and the put options exclusively in neutral to bearish trades. Even so, this oversimplification disregards more complex investment strategies. For instance, a trader could have sold a put option, effectively gaining positive exposure to Bitcoin above a specific price. Unfortunately, there's no easy way to estimate the effect. Ultimately, after it became clear that the Bitcoin network was working, you know, as designed, the selling pressure dissipated, causing Bitcoin's price to stabilize around 27500 Nevertheless, traders should be cautious as the bears are still in a better position for Friday's weekly option expiry favoring negative price moves. So all that is to say that these options are coming up tomorrow. You're just going to, it's just going to suck today. That's all this means. Today is going to suck. What will tomorrow bring? I don't know. But today is going to suck. Just, it's, it's okay for a day to suck. It really is. And there's other things going on too. We screwed up. Coinbase says, I'm sorry for Pepe comments as hashtag delete Coinbase trends. That's the, this is not the first time Delete Coinbase has trended, by the way, but whatever. Uh, this is Decrypt.co. Sander Lutz is writing, Coinbase's top lawyer, okay, <laughs> the lawyer issued an apology Thursday to Pepe Coin community, capping off a frenzied 24-hour period during which the meme coin's diehard fan base instigated a vocal campaign against the major crypto exchange. Fans and hodlers of Pepe were upset at Coinbase for describing the original Pepe the Frog meme on which the popular coin is based as having been co-opted as a hate symbol by alt-right groups. God, is that still a narrative at this point? Whatever. Quote, we screwed up and we are sorry. Coinbase Chief Legal Officer Paul Gruwal tweeted on Thursday, quote, yesterday we shared an overview of the Pepe meme coin to provide a fact-based picture of a trending topic. This did not provide the whole picture of the history of the meme, and we apologize to the community. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Wow. The acknowledgement by Coinbase leadership comes after the hashtag delete Coinbase trended on Twitter with crypto influencers decrying the newsletter's characterization of Pepe the Frog as involved with the alt-right as a fraud and manipulation. Pepe the Frog was originally created by artist Matt Fury as an innocuous animated frog character featured in the 2005 comic Boys Club over the course of the 2010s. Pepe's likeness became a popular internet meme, which was later embraced by the 
alt-right on forums such as 4chan and particularly by white supremacists during the 2016 United States presidential election, for God's sakes. Fury subsequently, however, engaged in multiple lawsuits to reclaim Pepe from those associations, notably winning a settlement against far-right provocateur Alex Jones. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, against the, the far-right provocateur Alex Jones's show InfoWars in 2019 over unauthorized use of the Pepe image in an alt-right, me- in alt-right media. I don't, I'd never heard anything about that. Over the same period, Pepe has enjoyed a massive resurgence in the crypto community, most recently, in the form of this stupid-ass viral meme coin. That's, I'm adding emphasis there. Uh, Launched last month, Pepe coin began as a joke cryptocurrency created in the same vein as Dogecoin. With no official connection to Fury or the original Pepe cartoon character, the near-worthless coin arrived with little fanfare until a crypto investor bought trillions of Pepe for $250. Rising interest in the coin, the the investor turned that sum into $1.02 million. Oh, for God's sakes. Okay, so the whole thing here is that Coinbase's head of legal apologized to a community who is mad because they said bad things about their meme coin. And I have to wonder why? Why spend the time? Your coin, I mean, delete Coinbase has never worked. I mean, I don't like Coinbase, but it's they're still here. You know how many times we've gone through the hashtag delete Coinbase maneuver? And for whatever reason, get your shit off the exchanges, Coinbase sucks, Brian Armstrong is a naked mole rat, whatever it was, delete Coinbase has gone through cycles at least three times. At, at, at minimum three times. But I don't ever remember head of legal coming out and apologizing to anybody for anything. So that kind of, you got to wonder why did Coinbase issue an apology to a fan base community around a meme coin? There's something, something's, something's going on there. I don't know what it is, but something's going on there. Um, speaking of, Uniswap volume leapfrogs Coinbase thanks to the Pepe and the meme coins. Oh my God, amid the craze generated, this is decrypt.co, amid the craze generated by Pepe coin, which saw its market cap surpass the $1 billion mark last week, decentralized exchange Uniswap overtook Coinbase in daily volume over the past few days. The DEX first pulled even on May the 4th, uh, hold on, wow, pulled, maybe it said the DEX first pulled ahead on May the 4th when both exchanges saw approximately $1.2 billion in volume according to, according to DeFi Llama and CoinGecko. It's worth noting that Uniswap as a protocol has three different versions across six different blockchains, including Ethereum, Arboretum, and Optimism. Meanwhile, Coinbase supports Ethereum and all EVM compatible networks. The difference in volume continued to rise the next day with Uniswap seeing 2.2 billion 
on May the 5th compared to Coinbase's 1.3 billion. As of this writing, Uniswap still looked to be slightly ahead of Coinbase with $1.2 billion in volume compared to the San Francisco-based exchange's $948 million. So what the hell? This thing was absolutely worthless, and yet it Uniswap on trading this crap is ahead of Coinbase? That's totally bizarre, and we need to leave it where it is. Because we're going to talk about Texas now. Texas lawmakers vote to include the use of digital currencies in the state's Bill of Rights. Decrypt.co, Andrew Asmikov's got it. Texas lawmakers on Wednesday voted overwhelmingly in favor of an update of the state's Bill of Rights to include the right of the people to own, hold, and use digital currencies. Introduced by State Rep Giovanni Capriglioni. Wow. Uh, (laughs) The bill, HJR 146, states that the right of the people to own, hold, and use a mutually agreed upon medium of exchange, including cash, coin, bullion, digital currency, or scrip, when trading and contracting for goods and services, shall not be infringed. Quote, no government shall prohibit or encumber the ownership or holding of any form or any amount of money or other currency reads the document which received 139 votes in favor of and only two votes against. The Texas Bill of Rights is similar to the United States Bill of Rights in that it protects fundamental freedoms such as speech, religion, press, you know. However, it also includes provisions that are specific to Texas such as the right to a speedy trial and the right to keep and bear arms for self-defense. If passed and signed, the latest update will also give the people of Texas the right to use cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Tom Glass, the founder of the Texas Constitutional Enforcement Group, said that there's one more vote in the House on HJR 146 and then on to the Senate and a vote of the people, end quote. Other commentators also noted that this is the far superior approach to combating central bank digital currencies as instead of banning, the bill just makes them worthless. (laughs) Glass elaborated on the bill, saying that the objective of adding the right to own, hold, and use digital currencies to the Texas Bill of Rights is to make a case in the federal judiciary to invoke the Ninth Amendment to the the Constitution of the United States, which says that there are other natural rights besides those in the first eight amendments. The Texas Constitutional Enforcement Group added, that the use of cash substitutes is essential for protecting Texans' financial privacy. Quote, an unstable dollar can destroy the wealth of Texans that have spent a lifetime producing. Texas cannot allow global financial elites to force Texans to use and pay for their services, leaving all of their financial eggs in one basket, subject to devaluation and or confiscation, end quote. The group said in an article in support of Bill HJR 146, it added that the people of the Lone Star State, quote, cannot allow their financial privacy to be destroyed, being forced into having every financial transaction they make subject to scrutiny by prying government officials, competitors, and employers, in quote. Texas Senator Ted Cruz last month warned of risks associated with the possible introduction of CBDCs, saying that, quote, the same people that want to see a CBDC, they hate Bitcoin, 
and they hate cash. So, okay, Texas doing something right as, you know, instead of cozying up to Warren Buffett and his group of miscreants, but hey, we'll have to see if they actually, if this actually gets out of the House, goes to the Senate, and it passes the Senate, then it goes to Greg Abbott's desk, and then he's got to sign it. So we're kind of far from anything like this actually happening. What do I think the chances are of this happening? You're talking about amending the Bill of Rights to the Texas State Constitution. Um, I give it 50-50. I mean, I don't mean to sound like a doomer or anything. Please don't, don't get me wrong. But you're talking about a real high level of where they want to put this language. You're not talking about just the law, which is an amendment. In Texas, the way that laws are done is that they're an amendment to the Texas Constitution, which makes the Texas Constitution very complicated and very lengthy. We don't have a, like, a book of laws. All of, our, all of the Texas's laws are in the Constitution, right? So, but it's as an amendment. This, this is higher up than that. This is higher up than that. So therefore, expect a serious amount of pushback in the Senate. And then Greg Abbott, as the governor, I, like I said, man, this thing is 50-50, but at least somebody did it because this is the right thing to do. Now, moving on overseas to Sweden, with the e-krona, Sweden is attacking the virtues Bitcoin is built to protect this is written by Peter Bissoliti, I think, from BitcoinMagazine.com. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sweden is the nightmare example of a state destroying financial privacy, winning the war on cash, and having control of all financial transactions. Sweden has almost completely abolished anonymous cash, trans cash transactions, and as a result, its regulators have control of all financial assets. Since at least 1971, WTF happened in 1971, when I moved to Sweden, bank assets have, have to be reported annually to the tax authorities, which can also demand documentation for all bank transactions. Since 2020, the Swedish police have the right by law to acquire access to locked iPhones and computers by use of force. What's going on in Sweden? In such a privacy-averse environment, one should consider Bitcoin as a better alternative. In the early days of Bitcoin, one could buy BTC anonymously through platforms such as local Bitcoins, which is impossible today. To buy BTC through the majority of accessible platforms now, one has to follow strict KYC and AML regulations. Sweden also has no Bitcoin ATMs. Swedish banks, politicians, and media, the media have an overwhelmingly hostile attitude towards BTC. Sweden is now moving towards a central bank-issued digital national currency. Since 2017, the Swedish central bank, uh, Sveriges Riksbank, the issuer of the prize in economic science in memory of Alfred Nobel, has been promoting the e-krona as a complement to or replacement of physical cash. 
Proponents of eCrona argue that it prevents money laundering and criminal activities, speeds up the financial system, and fine-tunes financial and monetary activities. Critics argue that it is the ultimate tool for financial censorship, control, and surveillance. The development of eCrona is happening in cooperation with other central banks and the Bank for International Settlements, or the BIS. E-Krona is, at present, a pilot project testing the technical platform and the cooperation of banks, companies, and end users. The E-Krona will preserve several functions of cash, but not anonymity. The volume of E-Krona created will not be determined by mining like it is for Bitcoin, but by the central bank. Positive or negative interest rates will also be determined by the central bank. In a deeper sense, the eCrona without a function like Bitcoin mining is merely a central database controlled by the central bank. The technical underpinnings for the eCrona are based on a form of blockchain technology through the Corda platform. I'm pausing. I haven't heard of Corda in a long time. Corda, it's it's a it's a shit chain. And I haven't actually heard the name Corda used in well over a year and a half to two years. That's what they're using for this. I get the feeling that this might actually not go anywhere. Just saying, because it's Corda. Anyway, the Corda platform developed by the software company R3 and ran a February 2020 technical pilot project in cooperation with Accenture, a large global tech company. The eCrona is programmable and only the central bank can create and destroy eCrona, which is distributed via banks to the general public. The end user can exchange eCrona with bank money in an account and can execute and accept transactions. There will be number one a Rixbank node to create and destroy eCrona. Number two, a notary node at the Rixbank to prevent double use of eCrona. Number three, participant nodes at banks and payment service providers for checking the authenticity of the eCrona. Number four, nodes for end users for deposits, withdrawals with the aid of digital wallets. And finally, number five, mobile bank identifications, which have been in use in Sweden for many years, will be necessary for, you guessed it, personal identification. I mean, at this point, all of your transactions are KYC AML. The transactions themselves. Buying coffee is KYC. Let that sink in. With the eKrona, the Swedish government will be able to see in real time every money transfer that anyone makes ever. It will also be possible to decrease access to the eCrona, for example, via a social credit score, or if one is not compliant with climate change propositions. With the eCrona, the government can freeze someone's financial resources and the Swedish state can directly tax customers' accounts. As a guise pretending to spur spending, a negative interest rate would result in people losing money on their eCrona accounts, and the programmable capacities of eCrona could mean that people are prohibited from buying certain goods. There will be numerous ways to program the eCrona, which opens the way to a dystopian, Orwellian, surveillance and control state. The eKrona is centralization and central planning as it existed in the Soviet Union's banking system. Nevertheless, central planning has never worked. 
and large centralized bureaucracies are often not efficient. Central storage of financial information might also pose a problem for authorities. In a cyber attack, the entire network might be disabled. Bitcoin, on the other hand, provides decentralization. It's more difficult, maybe impossible, to attack the Bitcoin network. The Bitcoin network has also become more and more resilient over time. But we must remain vigilant. The eKrona could become a competitor to Bitcoin, no, it won't, because ordinary people might rather trust and use eKrona instead of Bitcoin. One main purpose of the Krona or eKrona is price stability. Bitcoin has, at present, high price volatility. Bitcoin's price stability is influenced by supply and demand, investor sentiments, trading activities, regulations, and media hype. As of this writing, the latest 60-day estimate for Bitcoin volatility was 2.48%, while for gold, the historical average volatility has been around 1.2%, and for major currencies, it's between 0.5% and 1%. Financial privacy should be a human right. But central bank digital currencies in the e-krona are leading to the destruction of financial privacy and to the centralization of authoritarian state power. Therefore, we have to fight and prevent the creation and use of CBDCs and the e-krona. The vision of Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin, was built on three core values, security, privacy, and decentralization. Bitcoin can provide all of these benefits, which CBDCs and the e-krona Never can to the same extent. All right, so there you go. Sweden fallen even further down the authoritarian, totalitarian, fascist rabbit hole, which I find odd. I would, you know, I never realized just how bad Sweden was until recently. You know, you always think like, oh, the, the you know, it's Swedes skiing and probably get really good beer and. You know, we just don't get the picture of just how authoritative this country has been to their own people for way longer than a couple of years. You know, I, I, I guess it's always things like that always feed into the, the central thematic question that I always have is just how much will a group of humans take before you break them? And they start lashing out physically. And the answer always seems to be the same. A hell of a lot more than you think. Okay, well, Coindesk. If Bitcoin can't handle a few JPEGs, how can it handle the world? That's actually a really good question. David Morris is writing it for Coindesk.com. Many Bitcoiners have been up in arms about high feeds fees amidst a surge in new activity on the original blockchain. Fees, which are set dynamically by a competitive bidding process, spiked to a staggering $30 for a simple Bitcoin transaction on May the 8th, after hovering around $2 since July of 2021, nearly two years. The situation is dire enough that some Bitcoiners, particularly, here we go, so-called maximalists, have gone so far as proposing censorship of BRC20 tokens and the other assets based on the ordinal's issuance method. I'm pausing. Maximalists as a group are not calling for censorship of BRC20. Luke Dash Jr., is one of who can be counted as a maximalist. He is. I'm a maximalist and I am not. 
And many of the people that I know in the space either know them or know of them and have written their writings. Almost none of us are doing anything but defending Bitcoin and its ability to do transactions. And if, if we happen to not like those transactions, then tough, tough for us. So this, again, there's this weird attack on maximalists. It is a waste of breath. It's a waste of ink. It's a waste of pixels when I'm reading it on the screen for anybody to attack maximalists at this point. I, there's, it, it is, it's a completely misplaced thing, but whatever. Let's get back to it. Those assets... Those assets use new features to inscribe data in Bitcoin transactions and appear to be driving the price spike. But there's an immense amount to be said about the moralistic debate around BRC20 issuance. But in one surprising development, maximalist figurehead Michael Saylor has now declared their emergence bullish. Oh, for God's sakes. Leaving aside the question of what Bitcoin is for, there is a much more straightforward takeaway here. Bitcoin isn't scaling and blaming ordinals doesn't change that fact. Bullshit. The chain would be facing the same scaling issues if only a slightly larger fraction of the world were using it for monetary transactions. That means the BRC20 kerfuffle, ironically, is ultimately a blow to the very, quote, maximalist vision held by those currently railing against non-monetary uses of Bitcoin. The, the explosion of interest in BRC20 on Bitcoin has driven a huge spike in transaction volume on the base layer network and in turn driven up transaction prices. There are many different ways to put this congestion in context, but one very good metric is congestion in the Bitcoin mempools. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, I'm just, I need to pause just to make sure that anybody who doesn't understand this is clear. When this guy says the mempool, there is no the mempool. I have a mempool on my node. It's sitting half a foot away from me. That's my mempool. Somebody else running their own node has their own mempool. When he says or she says or anybody says the mempool, replace that with all the mempools globally around the world. That's what they mean. Anyway, here, the mempool is where transactions wait to be validated and are ordered according to the fee bid attached to them. A fuller mempool means more competition to get your transaction into the next block. Reviewing the data is eye-opening in numerous ways. I use this straightforward but stellar mempool visualization tool by Hoshin Honeki, I think is how you pronounce it, a researcher at smart contract security firm Sertora. First, by sheer transaction volume, Bitcoin's mempool has seemingly never been this full, not by a long shot. The last major peak in April of 2021 saw 200,000 transactions waiting in line, but yesterday that number peaked at 450,000. Just as notable, these transactions are often tiny. You can also see, courtesy of BitInfo charts, that the average Bitcoin transaction size has plummeted in recent days. That exploding volume of small transactions seems to confirm that the demand spike has been driven by speculators and or future rug pullers frantically issuing and minting tokens using the experimental BRC20 standard. 
there's hype around the tokens right now and DGEN seemingly want their Pepe's and other casino tokens right now, not in 12 or 14 blocks. CoinMarketCap claims that a staggering 8,500 tokens have been issued on Bitcoin in a mere weeks since the BRC20 standard was first floated. Given that these are largely meme coins that amount to little more than gambling, the bidding war seems likely to be short-lived and in fact, fees by May the 10th had already declined a bit from their May 8th peak. But here's the thing. If even a few million people wanted to actually use Bitcoin to send money peer-to-peer on a regular basis, we'd be in exactly the same position and it would be permanent rather than transitory. The calls for Bitcoin censorship from, again, maximalists are arguably incoherent for a number of philosophical reasons, but this practical incoherence is most striking. Bitcoiners upset at a temporary fee spike driven by DGENs may be better off focusing their energy on solutions to the imminent problem of sustained higher fees driven by everyday users. Most fundamentally, as Castle Island Ventures co-founder Nick Carter pointed out in these pages yesterday, quote, high prices are the cure for high prices, end quote. We are seeing this in real time, particularly with Binance integrating the Layer 2 Lightning Network into its Bitcoin withdrawal flow. Lightning is purpose-built for removing the load of smaller transactions from the base chain, but it does require a fairly arcane setup for peer-to-peer use. No, it doesn't. At the same time, Lightning service firms such as David Marcus's LightSpark have a suddenly target-rich environment for making Lightning easier for the average Joes. In this respect, the BRC20 fee spike seems likely to be a blessing in disguise, a warning shot that should trigger a frenzy of preparation for a sustained barrage. There is a final hypothetical irony here. The actual viability of both ordinals and fungible tokens on Bitcoin is still extremely unclear. A significant bug in inscriptions was identified just last week, for instance, but if you squint, it's not impossible to envision some form of ordinal technology enabling entirely new approaches to scaling Bitcoin, perhaps including layer two technology closer to what, for fuck's sake, Ethereum can accomplish. Oh, no, 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 no. That may prove even more distasteful to the maximalist crowd than sharing their mempool with JPEGs and DGENs. But if you're actually committed to scaling Bitcoin, it may be time to think bigger. Okay, look, I'm sorry. I know you guys are cringing out there because of this shit. Because I read this, I know you're cringing. But I think it's good every once in a while to look at the other side of what's going on And this guy basically doesn't like, I don't, I can just tell he doesn't like Bitcoin. He says he does, but I don't think he does. I think he's an Ethereum head. And the reason that I have that feeling is because he keeps going after maximalists, saying maximalists are mad. I'm not mad. I think it's stupid, but that doesn't mean that I'm angry. I'm not angry at all about ordinals. I just think that they're dumb. But I, agree with him on a couple of other points. I do think it's short-lived. And I also agree with him on the fact that this is maybe a blessing in disguise. You know, we've always been bitching about, well, we should use lightning more. Well, here you go. This is, this, this is a good reason to start figuring out how to use lightning. 
And I've actually got some pushback on uh, in my uh, uh, oh, my boostograms. And uh, so we'll get back to that. And this will be a good time to go ahead and break and we'll run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas Intermediate taking a hit down 1.65% to $71 and what, 35 cents a barrel. Brent North Sea crude is down 1.31% to $75.41. Natural gas is the one that's down only a third of a point to $2.18 a thousand. And gasoline is down 1.28% to $2.46 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks are getting wiped off the map too. Gold is down 0.75% to $2,021.80. Silver, however, is down a full 5%, 24.38. Platinum is down 1.4%. Copper is down 3.6%. And palladium is down 3.4%. Wow. <laughs> Everything's getting fried today. Even like most of the agricultural stuff is down. Biggest loser today is going to be sugar, two and a quarter to the downside. The biggest winner and one of the only winners that I see is a quarter percent to the upside, and that's going to be rough rice. I got live cattle down 0.1%, lean hogs down a quarter, feeder cattle is up a half, Dow is down 0.85%, so they're getting hit too. S&P is down a third of a point, NASDAQ is the only thing up, but only by a quarter of a point. S&P mini is down by 0.86%. And as you know, real money having its struggles. I got bid info charts here giving a price of $27,012.92. That's after 366,000 BTC have been sent in the past 24 hours. Uh, with 0.64 BTC as the average transaction value, the median transaction value is 0 0.00001. 5 BTC. We're back up to about four bucks. Block times are low. New hash rates come online apparently. Nine minutes and 10 seconds. Got 1.3 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. We're down to 202 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. BitInfo charts is showing a 18.9% increase in hash rate bringing us above 400 to 406 and a half exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator has fallen to seven United States pennies. So Dogecoin down at seven pennies. Yay. Now we've got a $520.2 billion market cap. That's merely 3.82% of gold's market cap. You can get 13.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with you on Bitcoin, of which there are 19,370,349 and a half of, and 5,345.3 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $143.6 million. We're, there, I don't see a lot more, I don't see a lot of new channels opening, is what I'm getting at here, because that's pretty much been the same number as like for the last week, kind of. Uh, there are 73,052 known payment channels, which hasn't really changed. Why? Nobody can open channels or nobody wants to open channels right now. So there's this push and pull. We want to use Lightning, but we wait until we have to use Lightning and have to open up channels. 
during an environment, like, okay, here, this is how humans work. We need to use lightning. Yeah, we, you know what? We really do need to use lightning. You know, we should open some channels. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. We really should open some channels. Oh, look, something shiny. I'm distracted. And then the freaking feed market goes insane. And you're like, oh, shit. I got distracted and I didn't open up new channels. Huh? Ah, see, this is the way humans work. This is why the world is always screwed up. Because we have these really good ideas and then we don't do them when it was the time to do them. <laughs> so we waited and now the fee rate, fee market went insane. Anyway, uh, there is a 0.0% estimated difficulty change coming up May the 18th of this month. Now, let's look at the mempool. And when I say the mempool, what is it that I mean? I mean all the mempools around the world, but this particular one is literally the mempool for mempool.space. This is looking at their mempool, their nodes mempool. It looks like there are 190 blocks carrying 310,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. Low priority transactions are going for 78 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is 113 Satoshis per V-byte. It is what it is. I mean, even with the excess hash rate, I mean, we're chewing through them. I mean, you know, the, I'm looking at like a couple of blocks that were like, I saw earlier today, I saw four blocks that were basically minted within a single minute of each other. So there you go. I mean, they're, they're working on it, but it's still high. It, you know, we should have opened up our channels, you know, two weeks ago. All right. Boost. Nick underscore dose. Four, five, six, seven says, cheers. JC Denton with 2100 says, you're a global blockchain leader in my book. Uh, uh, <laughs> Fatoshi. Now he's going to, he's going to uh, excoriate me a little bit here with 1,894 sats. His first one says, didn't listen yet. Boosting from the past. Don't you set the channel closing transaction fee when you open a channel, something like that. High fees could be an attack vector when your channel partner broadcasts an old state. Not sure, need input. Here's some input. I open channels either using, uh, what is it? Uh, Thunder Hub. Uh, I can use Thunder Hub or I can use Ride the Lightning. Most of my channels were opened up using RTL or Ride the Lightning. And this is all on my Node BTC software, which I run on a Raspberry Pi that's right to my right hand side. There's not an option that I remember seeing that said, by the way, when you close this channel, what do you want that closure fee to be? I don't remember seeing that. That doesn't mean that it's not there. I I do have the option, if I remember correctly, to say what fee I'm willing to pay to open that thing. But if I remember correctly, and I may not because I haven't closed a channel in a while, not not voluntarily anyway, um, I don't really remember seeing that upon closure that, or I, I, I remember seeing upon closure that I get a chance to set the fee rate for the closure at that time. But 
See, what would happen if you premeditated what you were willing to, to close a channel for, but you didn't close that channel for two straight years. Some of my channels have been opened up for well over a, a full year, well over a year. I think one of them is like a year and a half. You can go to Amboss and check out Bitcoin and podcast, all one word, and look at my node. That's Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. And if you want to open a channel for me in this ridiculous fee environment, then go ahead. Go ahead. But um, I think that that would be a losing proposition because you, you don't know what that fee is going to be if somebody force closes a channel on you or, or you don't. I, maybe it would be good. Can, can, hold on. Let me, let me think about this for just a second. If I set some ridiculously low fee that I'm willing to pay to have my channel closed, then it wouldn't close the channel. But what about my channel partner that really needs that channel to close? See, I don't think it works no matter how you slice this. I'll go and look. And if I remember, I'll tell you tomorrow what I find out. But Fitoshi continues on with a 1,763 Satoshi says, okay, here comes the chewing. Regarding custodial lightning wallets, let's consider the narrative. Ivan on tech, who is a good listen, shitcoiner, degen, but also a Bitcoiner, and he brings the energy. He made a point the other day. He said, quote, think of the irony. DGEN's trading meme coins on DEXs are more decentralized than Maxis on custodial lightning wallets. The DGENs have their own keys, end quote. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, especially big picture BTC versus Ethereum stuff. However, it's a powerful narrative. Furthermore, and he, he's starting a new, a new boost with another 1,662 sats. says, if you don't dig deeper into the censorship-resistant properties of the base layer, it's true. A maxi who only has a custodial lightning wallet is more centralized than a DGEN with MetaMask. I totally get your point about, well, for small amounts, yes, but no. Bitcoiners don't need the cleanest dirty shirt. I love that one. <laughs> Bitcoiners don't need the cleanest dirty shirt. We need to be beyond criticism. Fudsters going to FUD, but when they have valid arguments, what do we say? I don't know. Not sure this holds up. Anyway, my two Satoshis. Coming back to that. I want to finish this one, this other one off. Jim Leahy with 700 Satoshi says, let's go big dog Dave. Keep killing it. I hope I'm killing it. God's death with 250 says, thank you. And everything Satoshi out of Africa with a hundred Satoshi says, great show, Ben. They're calling me Ben. <laughs> Keep going. This is becoming one of my favorite podcasts. I'm glad. I really am. That makes me happy to hear. And you know, it was a like, honestly, I've had a shitty day. I mean, it's been a shitty day. Not, I'm not even talking about the Bitcoin price, just other external crap. It's been a shitty day. Yesterday was a shitty afternoon. And then straight out of Africa, here comes everything Satoshi making me feel better. And Fatoshi is making me feel better too because he's interacting with me here. So let me get back to, to his criticism of my of what I said about what I was saying yesterday. So to recap what I said yesterday, we need to start using lightning. You need to start learning how to use lightning. People that haven't been using lightning 
need to get off of zero and start using Lightning. I don't care if you use a custodial Lightning wallet. That's what I said. And I said it several times. So Fatoshi is not mistaken, right? I said that and I stand behind that right now. I think what I should have made sure that I illustrated was that to just start, then I don't care if you use a custodial wallet. If you just to put 10 bucks on it and figure out what the workflow is like to you, you know, like getting uh, copy and pasting, copying and pasting lightning invoices, sending to lightning addresses that isn't a lightning in- invoice, like uh, tearingfeet31 at walletofsatoshi.com. That's a way that you can send Satoshis through the wallet of Satoshi you, and, and other wallets. I don't care. Eventually, Fatoshi is 100% correct. As you learn and you get comfortable, then your next the next thing that you need to become uncomfortable with and get over is using a 100% non-custodial lightning wallet. But something's got to come first. That's what I'm trying to get at. If you're like, I still use Wallet of Satoshi every once in a while. I don't keep that much stuff on it. Most of the time when I'm making lightning transactions, I'm using my own lightning node on my Raspberry Pi through my node BTC software. I'm using Thunderhub to do that. I send a lot of lightning invoices around using Thunderhub. I use Thunderhub to get to, you know, to produce lightning invoices that I can pay from other wallets so that I can funnel like my stacker.news stuff into there because my stacker.news lightning wallet is what? It's custodial. I don't have control over that wallet if they want to pull the plug on me, right? So I make sure that when I get X amount of Satoshis in my, in my stacker.news, because that's where all the zaps go from Noster, after a while I go, ah, I am now 100% uncomfortable with that many Satoshis in my custodial wallet. I'm moving it over to my lightning node. But my point is you've got to start somewhere. And if you choose to start with a custodial wallet, you're not going to get any grief from me. If you, if you call me 10 years later and say, I've never learned how to use non-custodial lightning wallet, then I might consider chewing your ass out, but not in the first few weeks while you're trying to learn what LNBC one means, what a lightning address that doesn't like, like that looks like an email address. Just learn that shit. And if you have to use a custodial wallet, that's fine. I'm not going to chew you out, but Fatoshi might, that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use Azteco. Azteco Bitcoin vouchers can now be purchased with cash at over 126,000 locations in Brazil. No bullshit Bitcoin. Well, actually, it's no BS Bitcoin.com, but it's no bullshit Bitcoin website. Uh, Azteco, A Z T E C O, like Aztecs, like the old Aztecs. Azteco 
provides a way to buy Bitcoin directly from corner shops and retailers in many countries without providing identification or having to create an account. If you guys haven't heard me talk about Azteco before, listen up, right? Because we keep forget, we keep sleeping on Azteco. And if you don't know who Beautyon is, this is a guy named Beautyon. This is his outfit. Him and another guy got together. They produced Azteco. Uh, Beautyon has never come over to Nostra that I can see. He's over there on Twitter. Apparently, he's getting a little bit crotchety in his old age and blocking a shit ton of people, but... I still like him, and he produced this, Azteco. Quote, you can now buy an Azteco Bitcoin voucher in Brazil, pay with cash at over 126,000 locations, buy PIX, P-I-X, or online with a bank transfer. It takes less than a minute to, with, to redeem your voucher, and there's no need to create an account. Azteco vouchers are currently available at 126,000 excuse me, 126,000 locations in Brazil, 52,000 cash-in locations in Colombia, 45,000 locations in Mexico, 90,000 locations in Peru, 35,000 locations in Chile, 2,000 locations in Ireland, rapid transfer coming soon for Europe, and globally, when you are purchasing online via G2A. So here's how it works. One, order your Azteco Bitcoin voucher below. And he's got a little button. Two, select a local store or bank for payment. Three, pay for your order online or at your local store. Four, receive an email with your Bitcoin voucher. And finally, redeem your Bitcoin voucher instantly. Here's the catch. The service charges 7% in commissions plus a $1 processing fees. On-chain vouchers also incur a network fee, while Lightning vouchers are instant and with zero network fees. Yes, Azteco is Lightning enabled. Right, so what is it? Honestly, this, this is the way that, this is another way that this can work. Because he's talking specifically kind of about Brazil. But they're like, if it's not in the US, of course, but let's say I go to Colombia. And I walk into a corner bodega and they've got an Azteco, they've got Azteco functionality. I give the guy 10 bucks and he prints me out a receipt with a Bitcoin address on it. That's it. And I, he doesn't get to see the, the Bitcoin address. I get it. It's printed out and it's got a little QR code. And then I can scan that thing and tra transfer the Bitcoin into cold storage. And I did it with cash at a bodega. Okay, so this is like literally printed receipts like you get from a 7-Eleven after you buy a Coke, except this is very, very different. Don't sleep on Azteco. If you have the ability, if you're somewhere in, a, in another country, because I don't believe any of this shit's legal in the United States, why would it be? Of course it's not. Go, 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 and seek out where an Azteco place is in your country, your town, and start using it. Because people have been sleeping on Azteco for five years, if not longer. Five years. I'd be using it today if they were allowed in the United States, but, you know, they're, they're not. Ezra Roguera from Cointelegraph has this one. Buying a car with Bitcoin 
gets $3.7 million fine and prison time in the country of Morocco. Hmm. A crypto user who purchased a luxury car with Bitcoin faces 18 months in prison and a $3.7 million fine in Morocco, which still considers the use of crypto as an illegal act. <clears throat> a recent report by Euronews stated that the Casablanca Court of Appeal has upheld the conviction of Thomas Clausey, a 21-year-old kid and French citizen on charges of fraud and illegal use of cryptocurrency. According to his lawyer, Mohamed Ahagahani, the court confirmed the verdict last week. The decision indicates that the Moroccan judicial system is taking a strong stance against cryptocurrency use in the country. Using BTC to purchase a Ferrari resulted in Clossy's arrest in 2001. Holy shit. As Moroccan customs deemed the use of cryptocurrency to be an unlawful transfer of funds, Clossy was imprisoned in December of 2021 on charges of fraud and use of foreign currency for payment within Moroccan borders. With a prison sentence and a fine handed down in October of the same year. The legal case against Clausey began after a woman who lived in Casablanca accused him of fraud after exchanging the luxury car for a Bitcoin payment of around $437,000. According to Aghani, Clausey still has one month left to serve in prison. Despite its illegal status in, in the country, Morocco was hailed as the number one in BTC trading across North Africa in 2021. Jesus. <laughs> According to a AAA, a Singaporean cryptocurrency provider and aggregator, around 900,000 individuals, approximately 2.4% of Morocco's population currently possess cryptocurrency. More than a year later, the country has started to finalize a crypto regulatory framework that will legally define crypto within its market, according to its central bank. They're letting their central bank set policy for them, like everybody else does. No, no, it's like... The government is supreme, unless it's something about money, in which case we defer to the central bank because, you know, they're all, all great and stuff. But two things, 21-year-old, cool in his heels for 18 months in a Moroccan prison. That can't be, that cannot be cool, right? I mean, Morocco, you know, I hear it's a fine country and all, but I'm pretty sure that their prison system is... I don't know. Probably not the best place for a 21-year-old kid. Okay, he's not a kid. He's a full adult. I get it. But 21, that's a little young to spend 18 months in jail. And why? Because he bought a Ferrari from a woman with Bitcoin in 2021. Stop with the Ferraris and the Lambos. They're, 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 it is it's a, what am I trying to say? It is a nightmare when it comes to maintenance. Do you have any idea how much a single tire, let's find out. Let me see, let's find out. Oh, uh, let's see, a uh, Ferrari tire. Uh, let's see what, how much, let's see if I can find out quickly how much it costs to uh, buy a, a, or let's see, get a Ferrari tire replaced. Replacement cost. Let's see, just, just, to see. Oh, you know, $2,000 per tire. Yeah, if you rag, if you're ragging your Ferrari and you're burning through tires, uh, yeah, $2,000 per tire. So a cool eight grand 
for a set of shoes on your Ferrari. That doesn't even include tune-ups, timing chain maintenance, disc brakes. Buy a Chevy pickup truck or a Yugo. I don't know, but for heaven's sake, people, stop trading your Bitcoin for cars that cost more in 10 years in maintenance than the car itself cost. Nobody ever tells you that part. I'm buying a Lambo and you'll spend exactly the same amount for another Lambo, except just in maintenance cost over 10 years to keep your Lambo up. Nobody ever tells you about the maintenance cost. I'm telling you about the maintenance cost right now, but God, stop it. Oh, I don't want that one. I don't want that one at all. Uh, BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, issues a comprehensive paper on offline CBDC payments. Oh, joy, Cointelegraph and Helen Parts. The Bank for International Settlements is actively exploring opportunities for offline, offline, offline payments involving a central bank digital currency. The BIS Innovation Hub Nordic Center published a comprehensive handbook exploring how CBDCs could work for offline payments. The guide is written in collaboration with technical consultancy consult consult Hyperion, addressing objectives for resilience, cash resemblance, accessibility, and other offline CBDC features titled Project Polaris. The paper highlights new potential risks stemming from offline payments with CBDCs, including counterfeit, or privacy concerns. According to BIS and Hyperion, offline CBDC payments pose privacy threats as they can both support anonymous transactions and be privacy revealing depending on design. Holy shit, it's like the worst of both worlds all wrapped into one. Some of the listed privacy concerns include the level of privacy protection offered by the value transfer protocol, quote, If the offline value transfer protocol does not support privacy by design, then offline payments can never be anonymous, the handbook reads. Offline CBDC payment transactions also raise privacy or even fraud issues when it comes to identification and verification of counterparty users. In some cases, it may be crucial for offline CBDC payees or payers to identify the counterparty and such transactions may not always involve face-to-face contact. Central banks would have to take into account such situations when designing offline CBDCs, Biss wrote, adding, quote, The payer may want to be assured of the identity of the payee. The details given to them are valid and their payment goes to the right place. Impersonation fraud is a potential area of risk that central banks need to consider with regards to privacy, end quote. The paper also mentioned the importance of interoperability and risk management systems for offline payments, stressing the need for the ability to detect potential breaches of offline purses. There, I guess that's like a wallet. Quote, the roles and responsibilities of the ecosystem in supporting offline payments need to be better defined and collaboration between public and private sectors will be required, the handbook notes. Offline functionality is a major feature of multiple CBDC projects currently being developed by global central banks. As previously reported, countries like Australia, India, and Russia have been working on offline CBDC payment technology. Australia's central bank 
plans to launch a live pilot of a CBDC that features offline payments in the coming months. So get ready for that. The Reserve Bank of India has been testing CBDC offline functionality since March of this year. The Central Bank of Russia expects to introduce the offline mode by, of the digital ruble by 2025. They're making it look like it's going to be cash. It's not. There's nothing about offline payments that resembles cash. Everybody needs to fight this in every country in the world. Thank God multiple states in the United States have basically already said no. And we don't even have a pilot CBDC at this point that's been released to the public at least. Maybe they got a pilot internal and it works and does all the things and has all the lights, whistles, and bells, but we haven't seen it, not here in the States. And already you've got a handful of states that are saying, no, we're done. It's not going to happen, not in Florida. Looks like it's probably not going to happen in Texas. I think South Carolina said no. Montana looks like it said no. And there's at least one other state, if not more, that have said no. Absolutely freaking not. We're not going to do this shit. And guess what? They can do that. Why? Because the 10th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States says... If it ain't written in the body of the Constitution of the United States, then it's up for each individual state to decide what laws will actually be enacted and enforced. States have to enforce federal law. But the Constitution never mentioned anything about this particular situation. So therefore, the states get to make a decision as to whether or not CBDCs will be allowed. And several states in the United States have said no. Thank God. That's going to do it for the afternoon roundup. Dad says, jokes, I tripped in France. Eiffel over. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right. So the CBDC thing, um, I would say don't worry about it, but we're going to have to worry about it because we have to be vigilant about it. The fees on on Bitcoin, what did you want Bitcoin to do? That's the real question. What's a valid transaction for you? Is a valid transaction like, like let's say uh, you hate, Firearms, right? You can't stand them. You think we should all be at the behest of the government and it's going to be great and they're going to protect us every second of the day and we don't need firearms because bad things happen. And I use Bitcoin to buy that firearm. You, is that a problem for you? I traded value for value, right? But you don't have, you don't look at a firearm as having any value. In fact, you look at it as a deadly liability and wouldn't understand why anybody would actually trade their hard-earned Bitcoin for said firearm, right? Uh, if, I, if I buy a treadmill, is that a valid transaction with my Bitcoin? Because as we know, most treadmills end up being very expensive hangers for your clothes, 
<laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you've never been to somebody's house that has an unused treadmill because they always end up being a storage space. Is that a valid transaction? What's a valid transaction for you? And why is it that you think you get to impose what you think is valid onto somebody else? That's where we are with the ordinals and inscriptions and bro C20 coins and all that kind of crap. It doesn't, I can't tell somebody, I mean, while I think it's idiotic and I 100% think it's idiotic, I don't get a chance to tell these people that they're Pepe coin, that, that they shouldn't be buying Pepe coin because it interferes with my commerce and that my commerce is more important and more pressing than their commerce. I might think that my commerce is more pressing, but it's not. I have something that I value. They have something that they value. Therefore, it's a value for value transfer. No matter, no matter what your thought of value is. Okay, so there's that. Custodial lightning wallets. Go ahead and use them to start. If you need to get into Lightning and you need to figure out how this shit works and you don't want to add one layer of complexity, and honestly, non-custodial wallets ain't all that complex. Uh, what, what, what am I using? Oh, shit. Where's my phone? Phoenix. If I remember right, Phoenix, you hold your own keys. And otherwise, it acts exactly like a regular Lightning wallet. If you're, if for whatever reason, you're uncomfortable writing down the seed phrase for your lightning wallet, when you get Phoenix and open it up, and first thing it does is give you your, your words. If you're all excited about using lightning and you don't want to do that for whatever reason for five bucks, then shit, use wallet of Satoshi. I, I literally don't give a shit, right? I, I just don't care. But if you, after a while, Fatoshi's 100% right in his criticism of what I'm saying right now. If after a while you don't start moving into completely non-custodial lightning solutions later, well, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. Somebody somewhere is going to get rugged or something bad's going to happen to like, I don't know, like Wallet of Satoshi gets all their servers seized and whatever, you know, like uh, Satoshi's you got on the Lightning channel that they own, it's gone. It's just gone because it's what? Custodial. And it ain't in your custody. You want a non-custodial wallet. But there's so, there's, I understand that people are like going, I, I want to learn how to use it. I don't even know the difference between custodial and non-custodial. Fine, who gives a shit? Go get Wallet of Satoshi or go get Breeze Wallet. Or use the Fountain app. It's got a wallet in it. And from what I understand, you can buy Bitcoin directly from in your, inside your Fountain app and fund your Lightning wallet inside of Fountain app. You know, if you use uh, Cash app, that, like, that's the other thing. How do I fund my Lightning wallet? Do you got Cash app? Because Cash app has Lightning. I sent 100,000 Satoshis just as a test a couple of days ago to make sure that Cash app actually had this shit working. And guess what? 100,000 Satoshis ended up in my lightning node that's, you know, a half a foot away from me on my right-hand side on my node BTC. It just ended up there. You know, 
I mean, it went from a fully custodial cash app wallet to a 100% non-custodial solution. You can do the same thing to, for any wallet. You can send, like just buy 10 bucks on cash app, buy Bitcoin with it, and then use the lightning option in cash app, which they have, and send your Satoshis to your brand new spanking lightning wallet and learn how to use it. You can, you can buy five bucks worth of Bitcoin. I think you can buy a dollar. I'm not exactly sure, but at least five, just spend five bucks. It could, you connect. I mean, if you're already using cash app, it's probably already connected to your bank account. Just buy five bucks of Bitcoin. Wait till the transaction goes through and then fund your lightning wallet and start using how to start learning how to use it. But I 100% agree with Fatoshi. If after a while you become really comfortable with it and you continuously use for 100% of all your lightning usage, a custodial wallet, you're going to lose whatever Satoshis that you have in that wallet eventually. So he's not wrong. And there's anything else. Now I do believe that that is it. Remember to uh, hit up bees nerds at bees nerds on both Twitter. That's his, also his Twitter handle as well as his Nostra handle uh, Buy his delicious maple syrup and his sister Sarah's soaps. Tell him that I sent you because he gives me a cut of that and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.